Welcome to the next track. A podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. We self-produce the Next Track podcast and want to keep it ad-free, so we rely on contributions from listeners for support. You can help us by making a regular donation via Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash the next track. And thanks. Well, it's that time again. Our favorite audiophile, Chris Conacher, is back for another chapter in the Annals of Immersive Music. Chris, so nice to see you again. It's great to see you guys. How's your post-Grammy hangovers? Uh, <laughs> Only joke. What's a Grammy? <laughs> oh, I hear you. Don't get me started. Don't get us started. I don't watch these things. They're on at three in the morning for me. I don't watch these things. I don't really care about them. I did see that the Grateful Dead team won for best box set design or something. They do make these really fancy boxes, but like, why should you get a Grammy for box set design? Anyway, we want to talk about immersive audio because you've been on this crusade to convince people that immersive audio is the future of music. And you had an article on your website, Audiophile Style. I'll link to it in the show notes. Immersive Music and Magnificat is Magnificent, Part 5. And it's just like each of these articles about immersive music, what could be seen as hyperbole increases each time, but it's not hyperbole because you've been really converted by this. Yes, I refuse to use hyperbole when I write. I just, I can't stand reading hyperbole. So I have to tell it like it is. And there I've written some things about, you know, I, I not off the top of my head, I don't remember, but I've just been not excited. But immersive audio and the stuff I've listened to lately is totally amazing. I mean, like that Magnificat. I talked to Morton Lindbergh after I wrote that and he said, oh yes, the 32 foot organ should be behind you where it was in the church and wash uh -huh. over your head. The only way to be put inside that cathedral is in immersive audio. It's amazing. You say track eight, Musica Celestis is 12 minutes of pure sonic bliss. Yes, it. I mean, I would not listen to this album. In fact, I refused when it came out in stereo years ago. I was like, this isn't my style of music. I don't like it. I appreciate others like it, not me. I put this on and was sitting in the middle of that cathedral. And it was like, this is so cool. To be fair, there aren't a lot of performance spaces other than say avant-garde composers who put musicians all around a room, other than cathedrals where you get that, where the, the organ is in the back, where the choir is up in the choir loft. And I, I can see that immersive audio is just like the perfect thing for that, that once you've heard it, how can you go back? Yes, it, it, it is so hard to go back. I have some stuff here that I need to write about that is stereo. And I'm like, mm. <laughs> the stereo goes on the slush pile, yes, right? Yes, and there's some <laughs> magnificent components here. But it's just, it's hard because the immersive experience has taken me just, it has been surprising. And I'm just trying to get as many people as possible to give it a listen. Don't make up your mind until you listen to it because it really is something special. And this is music's chance to take things to a completely different space. Now, we're, we're talking about music that was specifically produced to be this way. And I think we've talked before about, you know, taking catalog stuff and running it through the Dolby Atmos Iser <laughs> and then converting it into something that resembles what might be real immersive audio. But 
is really just, uh, well, it's kind of faked. And how do you stand on, on that sort of stuff? Does that work? Is that getting any better? So, yes and no. We are, for Atmos Music, this is just like the infancy. People that are mixing it are seriously learning how to do it as they go. And it is getting better. You know, like when Miles Davis in 1959 was recording Kind of Blue, I'm sure he envisioned a 7.1.4 immersive system. (laughs) It was all mic placement back then. (laughs) Yes, it was. But Kind of Blue is available in Atmos, and it's kind of cool. It's a totally different presentation. If the, the audiophile in me wants to be just hardcore and be like, no, this is supposed to be this way. Once you remove that and go, this is a different experience, it's very, very cool just to hear everything. I listened to, I listened to Kind of Blue the other day in Atmos, and it's an interesting example because the original mix was in mono, and then there was a stereo mix done shortly after. So for Atmos, they at least had some tapes that they could spatialize it. And so you hear Miles on the right, you hear Coltrane come in on the left, and so what? And it does have... It makes it sound like, I don't want to make it, I don't want to say sounds like it's colorized, but we're so used to listening to it the way it was. It does add something, yet it just feels a bit, eh, I'm not sure about this. Yeah, yeah, completely. And lately I've been talking to mixing engineers about Atmos and describing it. And the best way that we've kind of agreed on this is Atmos is like an exploded view diagram. Whenever you've looked at a product, where it's kind of exploded, you see everything in it. Listening to Atmos, the pieces are pulled apart and you can hear them in individual space, but yet it's a whole and that whole is better than the sum of the parts. So to be able to hear different instruments in an immersive mix is much easier than when everything is unnaturally squeezed into two channels. Yeah, the best I've heard so far, and and I'm sure you agree, or, well, it's not going to be the best you've heard, but a really good recording is Brian Eno's Forever and Evermore, which I got on the Blu-ray. And this was recorded, and it sounds like it was almost composed for Atmos. When you hear certain elements that are coming from the back or that are on the sides, as if that was a compositional strategy, like Voices in a Fugue. Yes, absolutely. I love that yeah. album. Bob Fairbairn, who also writes on my site, who recently installed his own Atmos system, loves that album. It's just, yeah, it's really cool. And, you know, going forward, it is only going to get better once creative artists go, ah, I have a 3D space I can place music. This is amazing. Stereo got better. There's no question stereo got better as they started messing with it, you know. Mm -hmm. So we've already been down the 5.1 route for home cinema, and it never really caught on. And we need multiple speakers for Atmos and spatial audio and It's just not something consumers are going to buy. But we'll talk a bit later about the new HomePod, which supports Dolby Atmos. And I was actually quite surprised that it does add some space, not as much as your room. And I see all the side and rear speakers behind you as we're talking here. I don't know if we can actually get to the point where consumers can really experience it without being in a dedicated room with a lot of speakers. But it is approaching that. It is. And the the hardware to reproduce this is only going to get better. When I started listening to Atmos on headphones, I thought, "Uh, this is like a picnic <laughs> in your basement. This yeah. is not fun, you know? However, the once I 
got it out of my head that this is supposed to replicate a full immersive 7.1.4 speaker system. Once I forgot about that, it is a cool experience. You can start to hear the little pieces and it's much different. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but <laughs> some albums I preferred the Atmos headphone mix, which is lossy over the lossless stereo mix. Mm -hmm. I know it's, it's heresy for me to say that as an audiophile, but it's true. And you're not wearing a mask and with a fake name here. You're a proper audiophile, proud <laughs> to say all this. And, and we always appreciate this. And most audiophiles are like, well, this is lossy. We can't listen to this. Whereas you're always willing to be open to all these possibilities. It makes your breed seem a bit more human than, you know, <laughs> some of the stuff we see online. So you said earlier that they're learning as they go along, the mixing people. And I'm thinking back to the early days of CD as they learned as they went along. And some of the earliest CDs that were mastered so horribly that when you listen to them now, you wonder how they were actually sold. I don't think we're at that stage yet because of the quality of the software that they're using to mix, the quality of the hardware. But it does make you think that there's a lot of room to progress. Absolutely. This is just in its infancy. It's amazing now, but I just think it's going to get so much better. I was listening to, or excuse me, I was watching a Dolby seminar where they were interviewing this producer, mixing engineer, Rock AM. And he was talking about just getting into Atmos. He's self-taught and is a student of the game. And just hearing him from where he started to where he is now and this, what he's doing with the sounds, it's like, I am so excited to hear what guys like him have in mind when they can just release, you know, their creativity on creating music like this. It's only going to get so much better. I want to talk about the new HomePod, as I mentioned earlier, because... The original HomePod was released five years ago. This is a long time for a product, and it's been discontinued for two years. And then Apple comes out with this new HomePod. I, I've said here many times that I didn't think the original HomePod was very good. Chris, you were very critical of the HomePod. I went into this with open ears, and I must say I'm very impressed by the new HomePod. And I could almost recommend it to people as a standalone speaker. I mean, the price, it's still $299, which is a lot. But... Listening to some stuff in spatial audio, it was surprising. It wasn't the full wraparound experience, but there was a space there. And I can only imagine getting a stereo pair, in which case you're really going to get the Atmos sound. The You get the sound radiating from one speaker, and it's got five tweeters, so you are getting a fair amount of sound. But if you have two, that's going to make a big difference, I think. Oh, come on, Kirk. Now i got to buy one, I think. Well... I would recommend it, given given your criticism of the first one, which I agreed with yeah. totally. But I'm really impressed by this. Now, there are some weaknesses. It's it's pretty high in treble. The bass can be too strong sometimes. The mid-range is a bit lacking. It's It's not ideal. But what it gives you in terms of an overall one-speaker thing is really quite impressive. And this is one of those times where people have to look at the specs and disregard them. Because it has slower Wi-Fi than the previous HomePod. I don't see why anyone's complaining about that. Audio does not use a lot of bandwidth. I think when I'm streaming lossless audio from my Mac, I can see it's about 100 kilobytes per second, right? It's not a lot. So you can use fast or slow Wi-Fi. It makes no difference. Yeah, absolutely. I just read people complaining about this online and was like, come on, people. Just use the thing. Does it work as designed? 
Yes, it does. Yeah. The, the problem is for a stereo pair, that's 600 bucks. It's not cheap compared to an amplifier and a pair of decent speakers, which might be better and might be more flexible. But there's no other way to get Atmos without a complex system with rear speakers and all that. We also talked about this in our episode last week where, sure, for people to whom price is a factor, that is a factor, $600 for a pair of speakers. But for some people who never even look at their bank accounts, they can just say, go out and grab me you know, four pairs of these things and set them up and take care of it for me. So I think they'll do pretty well on the premium market, but I think for most consumers, unless they're given one as a gift or something, it's not the sort of thing that everybody's going to buy. Yeah, so that brings up an interesting point. How many of these can you pair or group? You can make a stereo pair, or you can group as many as you want. I don't know if there's an actual upper limit on AirPlay 2. There must be some limit, but let's say if you wanted to make two stereo pairs, you could have a left stereo pair and a right stereo pair. So like right now, I could play music to all my different devices in the house, be they Sonos or HomePods or whatever, and you can do the same. You're thinking two stereo pairs of HomePods, but each one would be playing the same thing. So you wouldn't have one that's playing the front and one that's playing the back. Yeah, I was thinking of complete wireless 7.1.4 yeah. system. Maybe someday we'll get there because that would be totally amazing. Do, do you know of any hi-fi manufacturers that are working on uh, standalone speakers like this other than Apple? I mean, obviously, Apple's doing it because of the spatial audio in Apple Music. Uh, hi-fi manufacturers. Um, <laughs> I know of a few that create really nice all-in-one speakers. I don't know of any that have the technical chops. Yeah to do anything like what Apple does. Right. It It's all the DSP involved. Yeah. Yes. I like the blue sound all-in-one speakers. They work. They have their own blue sound ecosystem. I like Dynaudio's all-in-one speakers, but it's just, it's a completely different thing. Apple has so much horsepower to do whatever they want. It's just, it's not a fair fight. So is this a good thing or a bad thing that it's computer technology companies that are deciding the future of audio equipment? Yeah, it's I don't like it. Um, their goals are often different than what my goals are. But, you know, such is life. <laughs> it, it makes me think that Leica partners with I think it's Xiaomi in China to make cameras, uh, to make lenses for cameras for smartphones. It. I, it Apple wouldn't partner with an audio company. It's not like Apple. But I wonder if they would buy an audio company because audio is a big deal. Although we saw the original HomePod getting discontinued, which surprised us. But audio is a big deal for them. And maybe if they had a broader line of audio equipment, that would be something that they would want to – they could own the market, couldn't they, if they did this right? Yeah, they could. They certainly have a taste for being the only guy, the only players, like when they had the iPod and when they have the iPhone. I mean, they're, they're, they like being in owning that premium space. Um, so, but I agree with you. I don't like a computer company whose motives are different from creating nice audio things. I don't like that motivation. But as you say, it is what it is. Which other streaming services offer Dolby Atmos content? Uh, Title and Amazon Music. But the thing about right. those two, 
is getting it to any device you want to listen to it on. <laughs> They're like, yeah. so those two added it as a checkbox to say we have it and thought, well, people will listen to it, I guess, somehow. They'll figure it out. Has Spotify not even done lossless audio yet? Correct. Didn't they announce like years ago that they were planning to do this? In 2022, I think they said by the end of the year or something like that. Okay. So I, okay. You know, their interests are wherever they are. Yeah, but Sp- Spotify is the most popular streaming service around the world. Not not that everyone cares about Dolby Atmos or Spatial Audio, but they're the ones when they do it, that'll make more of a difference, I think, than when Apple did it. They don't have to do it. Their customers are perfectly happy with what they put out. So, I mean, it's it's easy, it's fast, it's quick, it's down, it's dirty. There it is. It's the way I listened to music when I was growing up. <laughs> Nothing's going to change. So they'll, you know, stereo. Speaking of Tidal, Tidal also offers Sony's 360 reality audio. Oh, boy. Here we go. Another format. From Sony. Is, this, is this like VHS and Betamax? Yes, it is. And... Unfortunately, the Immersive Audio Grammy last night went to an album that is only available in Sony 360 Reality Audio. So (laughs) anyone who listened to this to vote for the Grammy, listened to it through headphones only and likely didn't even listen to it. If you if you go out to Sony and say, how can I play this? Uh, Good luck. You're going to spend an afternoon trying to figure it out. This is so disappointing. I mean, I'm all for something that competes with Atmos or Oro 3D because competition is good. But this one is just uh, let's stop wasting our time and money. And for the Grammy to go to this. Don't like engineers vote for that stuff. So how would they have known that? Who who I have no comment, Doug. (laughs) (laughs) So I think win however they win. But yeah. to have a Sony 360 reality audio mix win the immersive album category blows my mind, well, especially you know, looking at the competition. I think the people who run – well, let's not even get started on the discussion of the Grammys. It's run by you know people who don't know anything. So, I mean, it, it was a crapshoot probably, and it just – they said, I don't know. Sony's, Sony makes a Walkman, right? They're good. I'll, I'll vote for them. Oh, Stuart um, Copeland's involved. Oh, okay, him. Yeah. Right, Exactly. Exactly. I'm looking on the title website. It says, all you need is a, st- how can I listen to 360 reality audio? All you need is a smartphone, title high five plus membership and a pair of headphones. So this is playing over normal headphones with kind of weird phasing effects. Unlike I'm wearing my AirPods Max right now, which has different drivers and you can't get Apple spatial audio on normal headphones, right? You got to have the AirPods max or certain iMacs and laptops, et cetera. So they're saying you can use normal headphones for this. That sounds to me like trickery. (laughs) No comment. I have. So Sony sent me these WH dash 1000 XM four headphones. That's a catchy name. Which support 360 reality audio. So I've been listening to it and I have an article that I'm working on because nobody seems to know anything about this or even how to play it. Or (laughs) do I need to use Bluetooth because it's going to send data to the headphones too in addition, or can they work wired? Good luck finding those answers. But within title, you can say, here's my headphones and the, the Sony app will scan your ears to do an HRTF. And, you know, so that's cool, but so it looks like it's doing something anyway. <laughs> well, but sure. you can also do it with just two stereo speakers. I'm on the Sony website. It, this sounds like 
my God, they found the magical audio spell to make it work mm-hmm. perfectly. Yeah. So basically these are, these are phasing and timing effects to make it sound like, you know, that kind of faux ambience you can get with, you know, audio plugins. Two stereo speakers. Let's see. How are you going to get the audio to those speakers? Hmm. I mean, <laughs> seriously, it's such a rabbit hole. It's on Tidal and only on Tidal's phone app. This isn't on Tidal's desktop app. So, okay. I mean, ugh. so we're at this culling period where everyone's trying to catch up and they're making up different things. And it is Betamax versus VHS. And I think it's the weight of Apple that will win. And because Apple is not saying that this is, I mean, they first announced spatial audio, but they say clearly that it's Dolby Atmos. They're not saying this is something they invented. This isn't proprietary. You know, they're, they're citing Dolby when they talk about this. Yeah. On every album that's got it, there's a Dolby Atmos logo. So I'm happy for that uh, because, you know, then every other streaming service can just, yep, we're supporting Dolby Atmos. If there's one standard that's way easier for consumers, granted, like I said, competition is good and that would be a good thing. But But in this case, let's just go with it. You know, uh, everyone can understand it or at least begin to. Is there any way to get... So I know that when you stream Dolby Atmos music from Apple Music, it's not entirely lossless because of the many channels. There's a limitation on the bandwidth. And I know that that Brian Eno album that I bought on Blu-ray, I don't know how much space it takes up. Can you download Dolby Atmos tracks that you can play, or would you not even have something that can play them back if you could download them? You absolutely can download them. A few stores are doing it. It's really, really cool. So like 2L, for example, Morton Lindbergh, as soon as he noticed people wanted it, he offered it. So True HD Atmos, the lossless version, is available for download on his website. And it sounds absolutely glorious. Playing it back currently is not the easiest. You could do it on something like an NVIDIA Shield. It's an MKV file. Put it on the Shield, boom, into your uh, processor or receiver, and you have it. Uh, I extract wave files from the MKV and play it through... Uh, my system, but there's ways to do it. It will only get easier, but they certainly are glorious sounding. Yeah, but I'm just saying that it's still complicated for now because not much software can interpret it and you've got to be connected to the right thing. So we're still in the early days of like... MP3s. Remember when MP3s... Yeah, that was simpler though. I'm, I'm thinking back like quadraphonic... Like quadraphonic sound, everything had to be set up for the chain of quadraphonic. So we're in the same place, which is interesting that it's much easier to just stream from Apple if you want to listen to Dolby Atmos, even though it's not lossless. Yeah, it is. We're, this is very similar to when computer audio first started for consumers in high resolution and USB DACs. Everybody was like, wait, Apple doesn't change the sample rate if I download an HD track? And wait, you can download an HD track? You know, it's it's super similar to that. I do know of two guys working on a lossless Atmos streaming service. So one is potentially in the works. What sort of data, uh, what bandwidth would that be using? So a whole album in lossless Atmos could be two or three gig. That's not bad. It really yeah. isn't that bad because Atmos is at 2448 sample rate. So, you know, it's it's not outrageous. Yeah, that that's a movie. Right. And not even, you know, not even 4K. That's a movie in HD. Yep. 
Well, we'll look forward to that. I, I just hope that there's more competition. I mean, we're Apple guys, so the fact that Apple's doing it is fine. I don't use Spotify, so I don't care about them. But we do need more competition to make it something that more people can use, I think. Yeah, I think it's only going to get better. The products are going to get cheaper. And I'm, I, I'm so excited about it. Okay, Chris, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again in a few months. Yeah, see you soon, guys. You bet. My next track pick is a 40-year-old recording that I was reminded of recently. I won't explain exactly how, but I heard some snippets of Glenn Gould playing Box Goldberg variations recently, and that reminded me, gee, I haven't listened to this in a long time. I'm a big fan of Glenn Gould. A lot of people, he, he's a he's a Marmite performer, as they say here. You either love him or hate him. Marmite's this spread you put on bread that is disgusting, yet there's people who love it. So it's Marmite. He had a style that was really weird. If you've never seen Glenn Gould, go to YouTube and look at a video of him playing. He has this chair where he's cut the legs off and he's really low and his, like, his chin is at the level of the piano. But he has a touch that's very soft. Some people say he plays without legato, but that's not entirely true because when notes are long enough, there's a natural legato. But he, he touches notes very short, and there's an articulation in his playing that that's unique. And his Goldberg variations, particularly the second recording that was made in 1981, shortly before he died, is just exquisite. It's not only is it beautiful music, but it's well recorded. It's Glenn Gould. It's kind of the apotheosis of his life. The thing to remember about Glenn Gould is that he started performing very young and then he quit the concert stage when he was 32, partly because he, he was anxious. I think he had Asperger's or something like that. He was eccentric and he just didn't like the concert experience. He didn't like the stress and the fact that, I don't know, people looking at you and coughing and all that. So he went into the studio and he did some extraordinary things in the studio, cutting and splicing tape, making these really innovative radio shows about the Canadian North. And it made me think that he's the guy who right now in Dolby Atmos would be doing the stuff in the studio and recording this stuff for Dolby Atmos. And well, he's not here anymore. He's been dead for nearly 40 years, but you can listen to his Goldberg variations link in the show notes. Doug, what about you? Everybody here knows the Buzzcocks, right? Very popular pop punk quartet from the late 1970s featuring originally Howard DeVoto and Pete Shelley. And then Howard got tired after a little while and said they weren't doing punky stuff enough, so uh, he left. But you may know the Buzzcocks as a power pop, power punk band with Pete Shelley's unique singing voice. They kind of went against the grain for punk bands at the time because you weren't supposed to talk about girls and romance and sex and things like that. You're supposed to complain about things. You're supposed to talk about, you know, big deals. But these guys complained about boredom and about sex and about girls and about boys and about all kinds of things. So anyway, all right. So we all know the Buzzcocks. Well, Pete Shelley passed on uh, about five years ago, but three of the original uh, members of the uh, essential lineup of the band put out an album last September, which I just remembered I had in my recent acquisitions playlist. And uh, at the time when it came out, I, I was kind of interested because I was wondering what, what are they going to sing about um, without Pete Shelley? Steve Diggle is the uh, is the original member there that does all the singing and I think most of the writing. And they seem to be talking about, at least in a couple of songs that I listened to, they seem to be talking about the same sort of thing, but as as it relates to being older. 
So I made a note to say, oh, well, uh, since I listened to these guys when I was, you know, in my late teens and early 20s, maybe it'll, be, it'll pay off listening to them now, which I'm going to do. Their uh, album that came out last September is called Sonics in the Soul. It's the Buzzcocks, and it's my next track. This was episode number 249 of The Next Track. Thanks for listening. You can start or join a conversation in the comments section of this episode's show page at our website. You'll also find links to some of the things we talked about in the show notes for this episode. Just visit thenexttrack.com. You can follow us on Twitter at NextTrackCast. And don't forget to support The Next Track by making regular donations via Patreon. We are ad-free and self-sustaining, and it's listener support that keeps us going. Visit patreon.com slash thenexttrack. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks again. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs>